My name is Jared. I'm one of the pastors here, and I uh, get to talk today and continue our series on uh, improving our aim and talking today about Sherrod. Uh, first of all, I just, I just have to kind of, you know, go humble on you. Uh, yesterday, I took our friend Isaac Hovett down to Eugene to what we thought was going to be a football game. <laughs> we went to an event, actually, with a lot of people, and for any of you who are uh, Husky fans, go ahead. It's perfectly fine for you to acknowledge uh, yourself. There we go. I, I see you there. That's okay. Uh, kudos. Uh, the, the Huskies looked really, really good yesterday. And uh, should we just let the Beavers have a shout out here today? I mean, I, I, <laughs> yeah, I, am, uh, I have now become truly a fan of football teams in the Willamette Valley. I have, uh, I'm hedging my bets here. And I don't think the wounded winged ducks are going to fly very high. So uh, some of you came today specifically for prayer. We're going to have a prayer session this afternoon at 2 o'clock for duck friends in mourning to help you through <laughs> Your grief. Well, uh, some other fun things that happen in life. As I talk today about sharing it, a few months ago in the spring, I rented a Harley uh, down in uh, Arizona and decided to take a solo venture into the mountains of southeastern Arizona. And I was so excited, and I got in the Harley on uh, on the Harley in uh, Phoenix, and I headed out, and I was through Tucson, and I was on my way to Tombstone. Is that just a macho place to go? on a Harley. I'm in Wider, the OK Corral, and I was going to spend the night in Tucson. I turned off, uh, I tend to go up over a a remote mountain road on my way to Tombstone, and and the Harley quit. It quit. And I coasted off to a... (laughs) Honda, Yamaha, Indian, all of the above. Where did I get that? Where did I get that? Of course. Was it right here? It was right there. Okay. Because I was looking at the wrong person, and they were going like, stop me. I didn't. I don't talk in church. I don't. Yes, sir. So there was a pullout, and there were a couple of picnic tables, and I thought, if you're going to be broken down in the mountains, it might as well be in the, you know, Arizona mountains in the sunshine at a picnic table. And so I Checked out my, pulled up my phone. Of course, I was way out of range. Way out of range. There was no, so I waited. I just sat and waited. And waited. And waited. And then I heard, like the Apostle John, a rumble and the sound like heaven. And I stood up and I looked, and around the corner came a Harley trike bike. And he pulled over and said, do you need help? And I said, yes. And what do you need? I said, I need to go to the top of the mountain so I can make a phone call. And he's a 72-year-old guy from Christmas Valley, Oregon. And I hopped on the back and we went to the top and I made the calls. And, and I made it to Tucson or to uh, Tombstone that night. But this is not the kind of picture you bring home from a, <laughs> from a solo ride. There, there it is on a tow truck. Can you imagine in my wildest dreams the bike on a tow truck? Well, Mitch and you other Harley riders that are here, I've been told that you break down from time to time. They've suggested to me that going together with others is a really good, good way to do this. So improving your aim today, this is all about me. It's for me. You're going to listen in on talking about sharing it. We have one big idea today. Notice it in your outline or on the screen. And if you don't have an outline, it's because you didn't want one on the way in. 
but you're going to want one before you leave. So go ahead and take the opportunity now. Ushers are coming. Just raise your hand because I'm going to be helping you move some, through some things. The big idea today is this. Our journey toward Jesus includes fellow travelers. You help some who are just starting the trip. You mutually benefit from others who are with you on the trip. And you need mentors who are just ahead. We're better Christ followers together. Our reading today is from the Gospel of John. We're going to start in verse, uh, the first chapter in verse 35, where we read these words. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. By the way, this is what we call John the Baptist or John the Baptizer. And when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you'll see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent the day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we found the Messiah, that is, the Christ, and brought him to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, you're Simon, son of John. You'll be called Cephas, which, when translated, is Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee, and finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. And Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Well, come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there's no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. And then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you're the son of God. You're the king of Israel. That's our reading for today. I'm going to ask you to take the bookmark that you found on your chair on your way in today and hold it. You might want to keep it handy through this talk because you're going to want to jot some names on it. I'm going to ask you to write names and identify your love list on the one side, who you will pray for and find and tell and bring. Because just as Jesus' first followers were people who knew each other and were introduced by someone who was related to him, so it's very likely that God has put you in the lives of some people, and you can keep that handy as we talk. So this is like a basketball game today. It has the first and the second half. The first half is I'd like to stare straight at the face of this question and see if we can answer it. It is this. How were these guys ready to become followers? What was their context? Has it ever kind of bothered you like it has me? That Jesus, for followers number five and six, James and John, went walking by their fishing boats, their business, and said to them, follow me. And they left their business and their 
family and started wandering around the country following this itinerant preacher? Has that ever sounded a little bit flaky and impulsive to you? I struggle with that. So I'm asking the question, how were they so ready to respond to him? Well, let's notice from our text here today what we learn about them. Number one, their geographic context. Most of them apparently are from Bethsaida, which is a suburb of the larger community called Capernaum. And the Bethsaida boys may not have heard yet about Jesus of Nazareth, but they certainly knew all about Nazareth, which was just 46 miles away. We have a picture here of modern-day Israel, and you'll notice in the middle of the map, there's the oblong blue, which is what we call the Dead Sea. And just to the uh, west of it and to the north is the green area, the West Bank, one of three Palestinian territories. And in the inset in the West Bank, you see the city of Jerusalem there. If you go directly to the north up into Galilee, there's a little blue dot. We call that the Sea of Galilee or Lake Galilee. Capernaum was the largest city. It was at the north. Bethsaida was next to that city. And then off to the uh, southwest is the town of Nazareth, 46 miles away. All of this region was called collectively Galilee. Now, these northern Galilean communities were economically tied by agriculture and fishing. And Capernaum, the largest city, was the center of commerce that tied all Galileans together. These first followers of Christ then were geographically near. Secondly, we take a look at their cultural context. Nazareth. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Well, the guys from Bethsaida didn't know Jesus, but they certainly knew Nazareth. Could anything good come out of that hick town 46 miles down the road? We learned this thing about them culturally. They were close enough that they shared the same Aramaic language with its distinct northern accent that was mocked by people in the south. They had the same social norms. They had the same roles. They had the same customs. And they certainly knew who was up and who was down on the social ladder. They were, I may need some water, culturally near. Thank you. Is that coffee? I prefer water. Thank you. When you're at my age, don't drink anything that you're not really highly motivated to. It may be one of your last sips. Here we go. That's right. Let's notice their relational context. We think that John the Baptist and Jesus were related, probably cousins. So in this story, we have cousin John directing Andrew to his friend Jesus And then Andrew brings his brother, Peter, and Jesus invites Philip, who in turn invites Nathaniel. They were mostly, if not all of them, from the very same town, and they were connected with friends and family, relationally near. And fourth, let's notice their worldview context. They were all Jewish men from northern Israel. They had the same religious language that was meaningful to them. And it communicated among them, but it would have been horribly confusing for anybody who was on the religious outside. Notice words or phrases that we read in the passage. Look, the Lamb of God. Rabbi, we found the Messiah. We found the one Moses wrote about in the law. Also written about by the prophets. Rabbi, you're the Son of God. You're the King of Israel. 
Now, many of you likely have been around uh, Christian circles and the Bible for a while, and you have become educated in what those technical religious terms mean. But just imagine for a moment that you were a Greek person that had no Jewish background, and you were listening in on this conversation. Folks, they were worldview insiders, and they had their own language to describe it. It's why when we read, though we read it in English, when we didn't notice that John was actually using, years later when he wrote about this encounter, he was using both Aramaic and Greek, uh, Aramaic and Hebrew words, and then frequently he would, he would transliterate those or he would in, translate those into Greek for his Greek leaders. We find those in English in parentheses. Oh, by the way, rabbi needs teacher. In other words, back to our point, they were worldview near. Ann and I had a recent experience, which was really uh, fun. Uh, We went to an event, and we saw an old friend. He was giving us some information about a mutual friend that we have among us. And this was how he described our friend. He said, The Shekinah runs deep in him and sometimes spills out all over. How are you doing with that one? The Shekinah runs deep in him and sometimes spills out all over. Now, because I've been hanging around for you a few years, I've lost some of my religious vocabulary that's a part of that particular language set. But I'm near enough to it that I took just a moment, but I could interpret what he was saying and I could appreciate it. But it took a little bit of work. For those of you that don't have a clue what was being communicated... Shekinah is a Hebrew word. If you know Hebrew, you know that. If you don't, you may not. It's not a word in the Bible. So if you're a scholar of the Bible, you may never have heard that Hebrew word because it's not there. But it's a Hebrew word that means come to dwell. And it was used by rabbis, Jewish rabbis, to coin a phrase to describe what happens when God shows up among his people, the Shekinah. So now it makes sense, doesn't it? At least kind of. The Shekinah runs deep in him and sometimes spills out all over. That's language that communicates very well and effectively if you are an insider to that particular language. I suppose if we were to say that phrase in uh, New York Times uh, English today, it would sound something like God's spirit is in him and God's spirit is evident through him. But here at Evergreen, we tend to like USA Today uh, vernacular, and so we might say, he's really helped by God's spirit inside and out. How does that work for you? Yeah. So these guys were geographically near. They were relationally near. They were culturally near, and they were near in terms of their beliefs, the sacred scripture that they held to the language that they supported, the practices they engaged in, and the expectations for the future. So, when Jesus walked by one day, and Jesus said, come, follow me, it came from their preparedness to do exactly that. They were waiting for a Messiah. They were waiting for the promised one. And when they saw him, they were ready to follow. Now, those first, and then with James and John, first uh, four, and then six followers of Jesus who became uh, known as apostles, were a lot more ready at the first invitation than 
The apostle Paul was a few years later when he was still called Saul. You remember his story when he was called? Yeah, he wasn't really ready. God had to blind him with a bright light, knock him on the ground and talk audibly to him. Yeah, they were ready in different ways. And by the way, this gives us hope. If you're far from God today, you don't have to go through a long process to come near to God. God can get you there as fast as he did Paul. And if you have a friend or family member who's far from God, it's not going to take necessarily a long journey for them to get from where they are to God. God can get them there very quickly if he wants. But today we want to talk about what that process often looks like. So wrapping up the first half of our game today, this talk, what can we learn about 2016? What about your classmates, your coworkers, your neighbors, your hunting buddies? Alan, I'm looking at you. You killed a bunch of beautiful bucks. They taste good too. Your coffee friends, what do we think about them? I think we might have learned that some of them might be ready to follow Jesus this week. And others of them may be at a place on their journey that will take a little more time. So in this second half, let's talk about what that journey might look like. Where do we start and how do we get there? Who's on your journey? Who are you journeying with? A few years ago, one of the professors at Fuller Theological Seminary named Dr. Engel took a shot at trying to describe what a journey toward Christ might look like. And I'm sure that he appreciated that I don't adopt much of anything. So I adapted this. I substantially improved it. And what you have here on your page today is my new and enhanced version right here. So there you go. Now, this may have not been your story, but you might find yourself somewhere in the story. And it may well be the story of coming to Christ of the people who are on your love list. Now, for those of you who have uh, hard science backgrounds, are engineers, uh, do technical work, are linear in your thinking, you are absolutely going to love me for the next few minutes. You're already salivating. I have given you a metrics. There is a vertical axis and there is a horizontal axis and I have filled in most of the blanks and I can tell already that your heart rate is accelerating. Now, for some of you that are a little more artistic and uh, global in your thinking process, I apologize for you. For the next few minutes, you're going to have to grit your teeth and just appreciate the benefit for these other friends along the way, but there's some helpful stuff for you as well. It starts with a seven and it ends with a positive seven. There's actually 15 possibilities here. Let's kind of talk our way through them and see if it makes sense for you. It can start out for some people who have a worldview of no God at all. They may self-identify themselves as atheists or agnostics, or a more common term used in our culture tends to be skeptic. In fact, there's a magazine. It's very thoughtful. It's pretty well written. It's called Skeptic, and it's for folks with this point of view. Uh, I hope you have a couple of favorite skeptics or uh, agnostics or atheists in your life. Uh, I grew up in a fairly cloistered environment. I went to public school but when I was going to public school, the uh, crust of the earth was still cooling. And so uh, I draw no parallels between my experience and the, the experience of uh, Nicholas and friends today. 
But even in that public school environment, I, did, I never talked with anybody that outed themselves as being an atheist. I assume that some of my teachers may have been, but I guess it wasn't very popular to, to go public with that news. I assume that maybe some of my friends or their parents had those proclivities, but I didn't know. But when I went to public university, I discovered that there were some atheists that were quite willing to, to share that part of their belief system. And I was shocked as a cloistered guy from the farm. I, <clears throat> I was surprised that these people weren't dressed for Halloween. You'll know what I mean. They actually weren't wearing red. They didn't have pointy antlers. They didn't have long pointy tails. They seemed to be regular human beings and present themselves in reasonably logical kinds of way. This was a surprise to me. I didn't know that people without God in their worldview could actually act like regular human beings that were not to get me. That was my own smallness. Yeah. Well, my life has been enhanced by some atheist friends along the way. And one of our newest friends, uh, Ann and I met just a few months ago, uh, we're a part of an LLC, a little business deal, and there's eight other couples that are involved in it. And this newest couple to join that, we're at a meeting and we were getting to meet them face to face. Now, uh, he's a little older than I, distinguished gentleman. Uh, anyone older than me that's male is a gentleman. And uh, he came up to me and he introduced himself and said, you must be Jared. And I said, yes. And he said, have I heard correctly that you and Ann are both pastors? And I said, yes, that's right. And he said, I just want to take a moment to tell you how much I appreciate and respect the good work that you and others like you do. Thank you. Wow. Some of you could say that to me from time to time. That was really, <laughs> really worked well for me. I'm a words person. I just gave you a gift of knowing how to butter me up right there. I'm just a puddle of mud. And right in the, I'm saying to him, well, thank you very much. And I acknowledge those kind words. And then I said to him something like you would say. Are you a person of faith too? And he said, no, I'm an atheist. Wow. I thought for a moment we should have him come and do a seminar on how to treat people with honor and respect. Just the thought that came to mind. I don't know. He did a very good job. And he said, my wife is a, a, a devout Christian. She regularly attends mass and occasionally I go with her. And he said, over the years, I have really come to appreciate the work that people like you and Anne do uh, on behalf of others. Now, that was a wonderful way to start a relationship. Now, you'll notice here on your outline that there is something that I know God is calling me to do for my friend. And what is it? What's the verb? To pray, absolutely. And I pray, and I'm informed by Scripture when I pray, because right now what God is doing for him is he's revealing himself to him. The passage there in Romans chapter 1, verse 20, tells us that God, even in nature, reveals his character to everyone. God is revealing himself to my distinguished gentleman friend, and I can pray in that light. But probably most of us don't have a lot of skeptics in our life in that regard. Maybe we find a lot of friends who have a vague awareness of God. A vague awareness. I think there might be a God. I would probably call her wisdom, or I would call it the universe with a large U. There may be, I'm not certain. And then coming to the question, I wonder if God does exist, if this God could actually be known. And when I'm talking with someone with those questions, I can pray because I know that right now God wants to specifically and personally reveal himself. Jesus said this in Matthew 1, the Father reveals himself to all men. <clears throat> and then maybe there's people who kind of, <clears throat> kind of have this in awareness. And hopefully they're 
blessed to have you in their lives because most of you are likely Christians and you're not dumb and stupid and do weird things. And they've discovered that you're actually sane and caring and you express yourself in loving and thoughtful and respectful ways. And it can be the basis then for some conversation moving forward. In fact, some of you know friends with different religious worldviews. And they would be in this place very likely in your life as well. And, and being aware of their own heritage and their own beliefs, but quite interested in what Jesus might have to say. And as you move forward, you find that there's interest in Jesus. There becomes awareness of gospel implications. They're challenged to respond personally. Is this your story? And you came to repentance and faith, and boom, there is a miracle of new life. This is not just a mental, emotional process, but this is where the Spirit of God intersects with our spirit, and we are forgiven, and the Holy Spirit comes and lives within, and we become children of God, and we have God's power in life, and we're on our way to eternal life. This is the miracle of conversion. Yesterday, I checked in on a friend. His name is Dan. Known him for a long time. We met as freshmen in college. Dan and I were two of the 72 residents in our guy's dorm as freshmen. Dan was four doors down the hall. He uh, was a football player. He uh, played uh, receiver. And during my first week on campus, I decided to figure out how many of the 72 guys in my dorms were followers of Jesus. And I came up with a number, two and a half. Yeah. Now, I have no theological construct for half of a Christian. I'd never met one before, but he self-identified as half of a Christian. And so I, I said, well, would you like to do some Christian stuff with that half? I mean, how do you ask that question, right? It's <laughs> kind of an awkward thing. And I said, well, you know, the other guy and I, we're going to get together on Sunday night. We're going to pray for other guys in the dorm. Would, would the Christian half of you like to come? And he said, sure. And we asked him to kind of unpack that half out a little bit. And he said, well, you know, in junior high, came to faith in Christ and I was a follower of Christ in high school. And then I've decided I've come to college and I really want to party hardy. And it's going to feel awkward to try to love Jesus with all my heart and party hardy. And I haven't really decided. I've given it a week to figure it out. And I said, well, you might as well be half Christian with us on Sunday night. Well, I think he became more than that over time. But we prayed. And one by the end of the year, the short of the, the long story, is that by the end of the year, there were 17 passionate followers of Christ out of the 72 guys that met together every Sunday evening at 9 o'clock to share together and to pray for other guys in our dorm. One of the first to come to faith was Dan. And I remember as I was talking with him, and one of our early conversations, he was so excited because that summer he had gone to Jesus Christ Superstar. Any of you went to the Andrew Lloyd Webber uh, rock musical? Yeah. Now, I, again, I, I'm a Mennonite boy from the farm. I, I know nothing about anything, but it was a stretch for me to believe that God would use a rock and roll musical written by an English person. No, no offense to those of you with a British background and would do anything of any kind of a spiritual nature at all. But that was what God had used to bring my friend Dan from an awareness of Jesus to an interest in Jesus. And I knew that God was doing something, which meant in my life, it was time for me to share some stuff. Find, tell. Don't tell until they're ready to hear. Love and pray and be a respectful, caring human being while you're finding, but when it's time to tell, tell. Because when it's time to tell, notice what the Holy Spirit is doing over there. He's confirming and he is convicting. Wow. He is convincing and he's convicting. 
And I could tell that Dan was at a place of saying, what's the Jesus deal? And it was time for me to tell him the gospel. Paul says this, how can people know the truth unless they hear the truth? And if they haven't heard the truth, they can't respond to the truth. Someone's got to tell them the truth. And you are chosen by God to be a truth teller. And the truth of the gospel is a good news message that starts with bad news. How can good news be good news without bad news? And it is an offensive message to human pride because it says you cannot get from here to there on your own. It's a message that goes like this. As I was talking to Dan, and he was there with his then-girlfriend, and the two of them, and I was saying, this is what Jesus came to do. This is what Jesus is really about. And some of you are at this place today. Jesus is God's Son who came to solve the ultimate human problem. God made us to be a part of his family, his children. He loves to call us children. But sin violated that relationship and took us far from God. And no human has ever been able to bridge the, back, the, the gap and undo sin and come back to be righteous like the Father. So God sent his son Jesus to come live on earth as a human being. We know him as Jesus Christ. And in his coming and living, he's the only human that ever lived an absolutely perfect life. And then he was destined for an unjust death on the cross. But he made it just by taking our sin on himself. And when he came back to life, what we celebrated Easter, he then came back to life to offer to each of us forgiveness of sin and the gift of the Holy Spirit to bring us back to God's intention for us to be his children forever. That's the good news. What do you think about that, Dan? And I could tell from Dan's responses that he, he is engaged, he's being challenged, that he's being convinced, he's being convicted. And by the way, you'll never convince anyone of God's existence. You'll never convince anyone that Jesus is the way. You'll never convince anyone that they need to accept Christ. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. You share, he convinces and convicts. And I knew that Dan was at the place of being challenged to make a personal decision. Many of our services here at Evergreen, we simply invite, is this your day to get right with God? Is this the day that you're going to ask Jesus for forgiveness of sins and receive his gift of life? Is this the day for you to say yes to Jesus? And why is our language so simple about that in the gospel context? It's because Jesus never made it complicated. He usually said, why don't you come follow me? Because when we're ready to make that choice, the music doesn't have to be fantastic, and Lord knows today the message isn't that great. We're ready to respond because God has brought us to a place of saying, this is my next best step. Dan was there. His girlfriend was not. He was ready to pray and accept Christ, and she said, I don't like those verses that much. I really like those ones that you called the love chapter. Can we go back there to, I think you called it Corinthians something, and read the love chapter verses? Because she's mildly in love with her boyfriend, right? She's all about being in love. And my response, while recognizing and discerning that they were at different places and what God was doing in their hearts, I respectfully said to her, uh, I'd love to do that with you again. Uh, let's, let's do that in a few minutes. Right now, right now, let's pray together. And I led Dan in a response to Christ. Well, his life was changed. And at that point, I wanted to do everything I could to help this now baby Christian move forward. It's why here at Evergreen, we have a gift that we call the Fresh Packet. 
And in that fresh packet, there's a letter from Ann and Jared, and we personally give contact information, and we welcome people to God's family. We give them a book there that's the Gospel of John to read. We tell them about some next steps. We invite them to some things here at Evergreen. Because just as Grant and Marta's baby Judah was born, and he's utterly dependent on their care for him until he grows, so Christians that are baby Christians in God's family need the support of others as well. So I helped Dan as he moved forward, and I said, hey, you know, uh, I go to a really great church, and I take people every Sunday in my van. Would you come with us Sunday? And he said, sure, and he went to church, and that became a pattern. And I said, hey, about a couple hundred of us get together on Friday nights for a Bible study of other students. Would you like to come? And he said, sure. So he was gathering, and he was grouping, and I said, you know, it's, it's, my experience is it's great to spend some one-on-one time with God every day. Oh, would you like for me to, to show you what I do and coach you in that? And he said, sure. And, and I said, you know, being baptized is going public uh, with your faith. And uh, let's talk about that. And he was baptized. It was awesome. He's growing. He's on his way. He's one, two, three, and he's four. And then his junior year showed up. He decided to move back home. It is the parents, which is perfectly fine. But it's in the southern Willamette Valley, a smaller community, and it was a ways away from Eugene. And when I checked up on him, I began to discover that he was not growing very much in his faith. And I would challenge him, and I would say, Dan, tell me about your your faith and following Jesus. And he'd say, ah, yeah, I love Jesus. Do you really love Jesus? Yeah, I really love Jesus. But I discovered that, you know, are are you gathering? Are you in church? Are you worshiping? No, it's kind of inconvenient. Do you have a group of of others that you're hanging out with? Nah, you know, because I'm not living there anymore. Spending one-on-one time with Jesus every day? Well, you know, life kind of got interrupted, and now I'm commuting. Any of you been on this story? Don't vote, but just be there with me. Yeah, we go forward and we go back, don't we? And so I said to him, I'm, gonna, I'm your friend, Dan. I'm going to ask you a very pointed question. Do you want to grow forward with Jesus this year? And he said, yes. And I said, do you want me to help you do that? And he said, yes. Now, warning, this is where I go mean. So I got a friend, and I said, we're going to go down, and we're going to see Dan. And I showed up at the door of his house, knocked on the door. His mother came there. I'd never met her before. I've never seen her since. I don't think she wants to see me since. (laughs) I introduced myself, and I said, we're here to see Dan. Dan, she calls him down from his bedroom. Dan, what are you guys doing here? We're coming to see you. We're your friends. We went up to his room. I looked at him, and I said, did I get this right, Dan? You want to follow Jesus, you want to grow in your faith, and you want my help. He said, absolutely. I said, good, you have 15 minutes to pack up because you're moving with us. Now, I was overseeing a house with 64 students, men and women, and uh, I was in a room with four bunks, and I said, I've cleared out one of my roommates, and you're my new roommate. Throw your stuff in a bag and let's go. Now, he was so shocked that he didn't have better sense, and he actually started (laughs) robotically putting his things in his bag and he follows us down the stairs and his mom sees him with his bag and she said, Daniel, where are you going? And I said, you probably should give your mom the address. We'll be out in the van. And we went out there and Dan comes out in the van and this is called in the Bible exhortation. You notice it there? Exhortation. There's just not a sexier word to use. You just can't clean it up. It's a word that's not used very much in our culture, is it? But exhortation is a very energetic word because from time to time, all of us need a kick in the butt. And that's what exhorting is. That I've translated directly from the Greek. And I can assure you that, well, it's kind of there. Here's the deal. What do we do when we're helping others move forward? We're helping them identify and take their next best step. As you're growing forward in Christ... 
You're learning that God is calling you to give of your time and your talent and your treasure. Here at Evergreen, you've noticed if you've been around that we very frequently invite you to give money for special ministries and projects. We very frequently invite you to donate and volunteer your time, both here in terms of regular contributions as well as specific events. And some of you might say, I wonder why you do that. I wonder if you're broke and out of labor most of the time. It seems like you give an awful lot of appeals. You're laughing too much about that. (laughs) From time to time, maybe that's true. Who knows? But really, it's a principle that we have of we, given our own proclivities, tend to go selfish with the things that we hold dear and become consumers of what God has blessed us with rather than as stewards to contribute to others. And so we're challenged to be generous and we're challenged to lead and to grow into God's gifts in our lives and to be leaders in the lives of others. So my question for you as we wrap up the second half of this game, where are you in this story? I hope today that there are people representing all 15 of those steps. I hope today that if you are a guest with us, or if you have someone who has joined us some time ago that regularly contributes in our weekend gatherings, I hope that if you would consider yourself a skeptic, that you find yourself being treated with respect and honor. And if I haven't today, that's on me. That's certainly my intention. If you're a person that comes from another faith tradition that is quite distant from what we're talking about today with faith in Christ, then I hope that your experience with us on the community is one of respect and invitation. I hope today that you join others who are here who are asking all the same question. What is my next best step? And you'll experience what I and many others have is as you take a step toward Christ that you'll find that he is helping you take that next step as well. So as we wrap up, what have we learned today? Well, first, some of us and some of our friends are close on our journey to Jesus and some still have farther to come. Our second learning is that we take our next best step and we invite our friends to take their next best step. In the verses that we read today, there were 307 words. Of the 307 words, only nine of them were quotes from Jesus. Would you notice those words with me? What do you want? What do you want? Jesus' favorite question, wasn't it? He asked it all through the Gospels more than any other question. He often, the phrasing was, what do you want for me to do for you? It's the Jesus question. In this passage, what do you want? And if you want to take your next best step, his answer to you is, would you read it out loud with me? Come and you will see. (laughs) I love that. It's so frustrating for me, but I love it. Because I want an answer, don't you? I want the fix. 
I want the wisdom. I want the plan. I want the religious uh, ritual. I want the thing that I can do. I want the intervention. But when Jesus invites you to take your next best step with him, he doesn't offer a plan. He offers a relationship. And so he says, what do you want? And they said, we want to come see where you're staying. And he said, come and you'll see. Would you make your prayer today with me? Lord, I'm going to come with you and see. And would you make your prayer with me as you consider your prayer list this week and pray for your friends and discern where they are and discover your part for the wisdom, the insight, and the courage to take your next next step with them as well. Let's pray. God, thank you for loving us so much that you made us, that you find us, that you woo us, that you reveal to us, that you call us, that you convict us, you convince us, you save us, you regenerate us, you make us new, you grow us, you develop us, you gift us, you fill us, you release us. God, today, we want to take our next best step with you. I thank you for every man and woman and student that's in this room today, this particular group of people have never before in the history of humanity gathered in one place. We're here today on purpose. No one's here by mistake. Every person is here to take their next best step toward you and in you. God, many of us today are praying this prayer. God, I want to come and follow you. Help me step into, lean into, follow into your call for me. While people have their eyes closed, most have their heads bowed, it gives you all some privacy. I'm opening my eyes as I often do as we conclude services here and just say, is this your day? Is this, are you here today because you came to get right with God? Is your next best step to receive his forgiveness? Are you saying yes to Jesus' invitation today? Come follow me. If so, would you open your eyes big, look at me, raise your hand and give me an opportunity, just the two of us to discreetly connect. I'd love to do that. I'm looking off to your right right now, scanning quickly across the room. Is this your day to say yes to Christ? Scanning the center of the room. And now I'm off to your left. Lord, thank you for the privilege to know you. Would you help us this week, God, step into what you have for us by the power of your spirit and helping us love you and love others better and better. In Jesus' name, would you say together with me, amen.